Welcome to Talking Payroll. My name is Tracy Anglin. In this episode, I speak with Tal Williams, a partner at Holman Webb Lawyers. Tal has been a corporate lawyer for more than 20 years. He helps his clients with their commercial arrangements and understands that the law must be applied within the realities of commercial enterprise. So, you know, he's a realist. The technology issues now form a large part of Tal's work, and that includes uh, data and data privacy. Also, with the internet, electronic commerce, uh, contracts and communications, outsourcing, especially in the payroll world, uh, your system rollouts, tech infrastructure, software creation and protection, and many other areas of tech and data make Tal a perfect person to speak to about the issues around data privacy for payroll. In this conversation, we talk about privacy law, what happens if you have a notifiable data breach, and in fact, what constitutes a notifiable data breach? Uh, what is privacy by design as a principle? And what employers need to consider when it comes to protecting employee payroll data? This is an area that we in the payroll industry need to know more about. Please enjoy this enlightening and very educational chat with Tal Williams. Tal, welcome to the Talking Payroll podcast. Thanks, Tracy. Good to be here. Now, the first question I ask all my guests is how they got into the payroll industry. You actually aren't really in the payroll industry, but I imagine you've done some work in and around payroll for your clients. So I'll ask you instead, what made you decide to choose law as your profession? What's a great question. Um, to be honest, I just fell into it, I think. Um, I, was a, I was a debater at school and we did pretty well at debating and it was sort of just almost expected that people who did well in that field went into, um, went into the law. Um, I was interested anyway. You know, did work experience at a law firm um, when I was at school. And, um, yeah, ultimately just that's, that's where, I, where I drifted and, and ended up. So... Uh, not a bad place to be, though. A very, very varied place to be, and there's lots of different types of lawyer you can be. Um, and I've ended up in corporate, commercial, and technology, which probably for today's purposes is relevant because that technology component certainly includes a lot of data issues and privacy issues and um, uh, how you run your business to protect yourself issues. Sure. It's funny because everyone I speak to in the payroll industry uses exactly those terms as well. I just fell into it, including myself. So that's interesting. <laughs> yes. Yep. I noticed in 2016 you were named on the Australasian Lawyer Hot List. I didn't even know there was such a list um, for your work in technology law yep. relating to your interest in you know, digital and web and e-commerce. And t- Tell me about your interest in that t- um, side of the law. Well, it's one that dates back to oh, a long, long time ago when I first went to university. I, I did first-year computing, and that's well before most of your listeners were probably born, <laughs> um, back, in, back in the 80s and, and sort of... Back then, the uh, we didn't code; we programmed, and so um, certainly did first-year university, doing a whole lot of programming stuff in Pascal and Fortran and Basic for memory. So certainly had an interest very, very early on um, in relation to the space, and basically maintained that interest all the way all the way through, and kept an eye on it, kept involved in it. Uh, and it's a really interesting space to be in too. So not only when it comes to data control, but when it comes to that cutting edge stuff, whether it be drones, whether it be wearable technology, um, whether it be um, you know, Bitcoin and, and all the blockchain that goes behind it, it's just interesting stuff. Um, and so I've just maintained that interest all the way through. 
But I must say, from a practical point of view, there's not that many people needing to know about drone law, but there's a lot of people <laughs> know about data and privacy. And exactly. How that, affects their, how that affects their business and um, whether or not they can simply rely upon tech and say, okay, I've got a tech system in place, so I'm all right, or whether it needs to be a bit more than that. Yeah, sure. I haven't figured out how to use drones and payroll yet, but when I do, you'll be the one that I'll be calling. Excellent. I mean, these days, as you say, look, most business operations are using software products in the cloud. You know, there's a whole new category that really should be on the, the risk register of all organisations, and that's cyber security and data protection. Yeah. If, if an organisation hasn't thought about the protection of their payroll data, where should they start? Well, it, it's, in a way, it's, it's quite simple. The, Australia has a, a whole set of rules in relation to data, and essentially it's under the, um, under the Privacy Act. Um, if any of your uh, members are dealing with data from Europe, then they'll also be caught by the GDPR, which is the European Privacy Regulation. And they set out, both of those set out a whole lot of basic principles. And the overriding principle, I'd have to say now, and this has developed over time, is privacy by design. In other words, it's not privacy by default, it's not privacy by reaction, it's protecting your data by a intentional and clear and provable uh, design so that so that you can show to someone if there is to be a data breach and sometimes that's avoidable that you have done everything possible to design a system that best protects your data um, and so in Australia we've got the Privacy Act it has um, 13 privacy principles that relate to the collection of data what you can do with it how you can use it what access people have to it um, whether or not you can disclose that data in whatever circumstances. So there's a whole um, barrage of material under the Privacy Act that you need to be aware of and you need to comply with and you need to design your systems to take into account. So that's, that's a starting point, a great starting point is the Australian Privacy Principles. Uh, now importantly, uh, those principles or that Act doesn't actually apply directly to employers and employees. So the information your employees give you isn't actually covered by the privacy legislation. Right. The reason for that is because uh, privacy is all about consent. People can only use personal information in a way that's been consented to. And in an employer-employer relationship, that's pretty clear what that is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a commercial function. It's an employment function and you can use my information to pay me, to manage me, to do all those things that need to be done. And that consent is, um, if not expressly given, it's implied by virtue of the relationship. But if, on the other hand, some of your members are payroll companies, they're receiving information from outside about people who are not their employees, they're other people's employees. So in that regard, those people are formally covered by the Privacy Act and they do formally need to take steps to protect that information um, in accordance with you know, that Act. Right, okay, so contractors, volunteers. Yep. Wow, okay. So that's really interesting. So um, even the concept of, you know, even if it all goes wrong, you've got to have an intention, a proven intention to protect the data. That's a really interesting concept. It is, that's right. And, and people often say, and I've, I was at a meeting this morning where someone said, oh, that's okay, I use Microsoft on the cloud and they've got all the privacy protections in place so I don't need to do anything. Um, and that's just not right. Uh, yes, Microsoft are certified under, under international privacy laws and they will be considered to be a... Uh, one of the more sound 
um, uh, protectors of data, and that's that's fantastic. But they don't protect the data coming in, and they don't protect the data coming out, and they don't protect the data whilst it's in your workplace uh, or under your control. And so for someone to say, well, simply Microsoft can deal with privacy, I don't need to, you're simply not going to pass the mustard. Yeah, sure. That if there is a data breach, the first thing that the privacy commissioner is going to be looking at is, well, what were you doing? Did your staff know how to deal with it? Uh, was there a policy and procedure in place that meant that as soon as this happened, you knew what to do? Uh, what protections were they in place? Who had the keys to the data? And I use keys in the IT word. You know, who had the encryption? Who had the passwords? Who had the access? Um, have you man managed all that properly? Have you trained your staff? If you can't tick all those boxes and all you can do is say, oh no, Microsoft did it for me, to be honest, I think you're going to have an issue. Wow. That's, that's uh, fascinating because I speak to a lot of payroll suppliers as to, you know, whether they're subject to cyber attacks, and invariably they've all got stories to tell. Um, some of them use Microsoft, some of them don't. Uh, you know, some have even had their phone systems hacked in an effort for attackers to get to their data. What can payroll providers do to give their clients comfort that their data is safe? And and what should customers should be asking? What should they be asking of their payroll suppliers to ensure that they are complying with the privacy laws? Well, if they're in Australia, then the privacy is mandatory that they comply with the privacy laws. So that's. That's a given um, if they're in Australia. Um, but there'd be absolutely no problem if you were concerned about it or if the data that you were providing to them was particularly sensitive. And remember, data's sort of in, in two categories here. Um, not sure that the second will apply too much to your industry, but the first category is just normal private information, name, address, email, phone number, um, bank account details, that sort of material, which is uh, private and certainly important. But there's another level, and that's the sensitive information. And the sensitive information is about your health, about your religion, about uh, your ethnic, ethnic, ethnic background. Um, it's information that, that you know, goes beyond the mere identifying and actually gives more information about you. Now, that information has a sort of a higher level, again, of protection that is needed. So if data is being collected by any of your members and it does contain any of that sensitive information, then it would be, they would be well advised to go back to the providers of that information and get confirmation from them that they have got the consent to release that information to your member, that it is being used in a way that is consistent with and done in accordance with what's required under the Privacy Act. And if any of that data is of European um, content, then you may need to go a step further and say, are you complying with the GDPR, which is the European version, because it's got extraterritorial application. So if you're an Australian company, but oh, no, here's a good example. So the Invictus Games came out to Australia a little while ago, and clearly lots of people were coming to Australia that had European personal information that was being collected. And so because the EU regulations say, well, any information about EU residents that's collected anywhere in the world is now governed by this, and they've got a different regime when it comes to particularly reporting, the recipient of that information or the collector of that information in Australia should be well versed to actually expressly ask and in their contracts expressly compel the people to comply with the requirements of the GDPR. And just for example, in Australia, if there is a breach, 
You've got 30 days to think about it, determine whether or not um, it's a breach that needs to be reported. Um, and in Australia, that is, if there's a real risk of serious harm to an individual, you've got 30 days to check it out, answer that question, and if there is, you must report it um, as a data breach. And that can relate to one person, it can relate to 10 people, it can relate to 50 million people. In fact, about 60% of reported cases relate to under 100 people. So the information released has been a very small amount, and I think about 30% is only a single person's information has been wrongfully released. So oh, wow. volume doesn't matter. One person's information gets out. If it's going to potentially cause a real risk of serious harm, then that needs to be reported to the Privacy Commissioner. In the, under the GDPR, however, you've only got 72 hours, not a month. Oh, 72 oh wow. Hours. And in that case, it's a case you have to report it unless the personal data breach is unlikely to result in the risk to the rights and freedoms of natural persons. And it's pretty hard to see where the release of personal information uh, may not result in a risk to the rights and freedoms of a natural person. So it's a much, much, much more stringent test. And the penalties over there are much more stringent as well. So if you're dealing with any form of data that, that has a European content, it's, it's best to, well, to be honest, in each individual case, get specific advice as to whether you need to comply with the GDPR. Uh, and if you do, take steps in order to, to do that. Um, thankfully, I'm yeah. oh, sorry to keep going, but thankfully, if you comply with the Australian privacy laws, you probably comply with about 95% of the GDPR laws as well. But it's essential to get some advice on whether or not it actually applies to you, and if so, what you need to do. That's... um. That's fascinating because I was going to ask you about GDPR because, um, of course, with data and computing now being a global industry and it's a global talent pool and a lot of times you have got sensitive information on payroll systems because it touches into those H that HR capability as well. Um, in terms of GDPR legislation on, on Australian employers, I mean, a lot of Australian employers would, would employ European residents um, either permanently or on a sort of a, um, an, an expat type of arrangement. The one that interests me, which I think that a lot of employers might not be either aware of or are capable of complying with, or certainly aware that they need to comply with, is this whole right to be forgotten. How's that impacting, um, do you think, on personal data in, for, for an Australian business who might employ, employ uh, European residents? Yeah, it's, the right to be forgotten is a right. In, it is a, well, it's not a right in Australia, but it's a very, very, very strong recommendation in Australia under the existing regime. So there have been many cases that have, that have been brought before the Privacy Commissioner in which there have been fines and penalties and criticism for the fact that the person has wrongfully retained or unnecessarily retained private information in circumstances where that information was no longer needed for the purpose for which it was collected. And so it has already been brought to bear in Australia that although it's not a formal right, you need to justify why it is you've got 10, work, 10 years' worth of records and including a person that you didn't, haven't provided services to for nine of those years, why is that still available to you? Why, why have you still got that on your database? Why hasn't that been cleansed? Or at minimum, why hasn't that been de-identified? So even if you do want the information there for statistical purposes, what's the purpose of having the person's name there and the identifiers there when the information that you need for your historical analysis can be 
stripped of that identifying nature and still used anyway. So there's been lots of cases in Australia where that's been very solidly criticised. So all employers do need to make sure and do need to purge their systems uh, frequently to make sure that they're not going to fall foul of that. Now that's not meaning to say you can't keep the information at all um, for tax purposes, for you know, potential litigation purposes. Yeah, there is some information that should be retained for six or seven years at least. Um, in workers' comp, there is an obligation on employers to keep information, I think, for about 30 years in relation to workers' comp matters under the regulations. So there are requirements in, in some instances where, where that is necessary and you do need to keep the information. But there are others where it's just not. If somebody rings up to pay with a credit card, um, why do you need to keep that on record for the next nine years? Why do you? Yeah, sure. You just don't. So um, that, that assessment, again, this privacy by design, that assessment needs to be a positive thing that employers look at. But you're quite right. When it comes to the right to be forgotten under the GDPR, it is actually a, an express provision. It's not a recommended thing. It's not something that's taken into account. It's actually a formal right that has been granted. And so that means that that process that I just described, making sure that you only have relevant information for the relevant period of time, uh, is more essential when it comes to um, compliance with the GDPR. Mm, so it might well be that from a payroll data point of view, you might need to purge some data and you might have reason you know a reason to keep other data but you can't just assume you can keep all the data that's right yep that, that's a good that's a good comment that's right wow so i mean sometimes breaches happen i mean there's been a few cases uh, recently in australia in fact i think i saw in the paper this morning nab's got a problem um only in the last 24 hours um we had a fairly big one in our industry there was a, a breach for, with page up last year where you know we had commonwealth bank and uh, the ABC and Telstra and Coles and Aldi, they all had their data uh, potentially breached. Um, what, what is a notifiable data breach and when should it be reported and to whom? Yep, so it's thankfully it's a fairly, in quotes, simple system, but a notifi uh, notifiable data breach is that data breach that I indicated before. It's simply one where personal information has been disclosed and under the Australian system, a person looking at it would consider there's a, a real risk of serious harm. Now, serious harm is not necessarily physical harm. It can be financial harm. It can be emotional harm. Um, the Act goes on to describe different forms of harm, but sure. however you describe that, and that, that's the assessment that needs to be made. And like I said, it's not necessary that 100,000 people are affected by it. Um, for example, one, one matter that, that came before the Privacy Commissioner was an insurance company uh, provided um, information on an applicant whose name was, say, Fred Smith, um, provided to Fred Smith. Unfortunately, they provided to Fred Smith Senior and not Fred Smith. Oh, no. And so Fred Smith Junior's information went to his dad. And his dad had been involved in, in the treatment and you know, knew what was going on, but it still went to the wrong person. Um, and that insurance company got hit with a $30,000 penalty for breach of one person's information, uh, in this case, to a family member. So there's no lower limit on what needs to be reported, um, but there is an assessment that's needed. Is there a real risk of serious harm? Um, but right. form that view after 30 days, yes, there is a... I must say, the Privacy Commission is very good. They will work with you um, in relation to these types of things. Uh, there's still a... Yes, they do have penalty provisions now, and they can uh, prosecute and, and take action, but... 
moreover, they are actually wanting to inform and educate and prevent future breaches and have people put in place privacy by design to bring about the goal that they're after, and that is better privacy. So they are still quite helpful, and uh, if anybody does get into that situation, they, they are able to provide assistance in relation to the process. But there are online forms. You need to uh, report the breach. You need to uh, construct a response that you are going to give to the people that are affected by that breach. And the Privacy Commission has to tick off on that and have a look at that. You have to have a process in place that will enable the, firstly, those people to protect themselves. If, for example, passwords have got out, you would want people to in, change those passwords as soon as physically possible. Um, um, and then go through that process and the Privacy Commission at the end of it will make a determination as to whether that's been satisfactorily dealt with, whether or not it's a matter that they need to proceed with uh, because the breach was of significant seriousness that they want to do something about it in a penalty or a reprimand sense. Um, and, and ultimately, as I said, their, their aim is to make sure that it, it doesn't happen again and the processes are in place to prevent it happening again. And in that regard, I could just add one thing if I can. Sure. There's a wonderful cartoon that is in a boxing ring. It's been around for years, this cartoon. There's a boxing ring, and in one corner are firewalls, cybersecurity policies, cybersecurity insurance. Um, there's every type of computer protection that can be afforded sitting on one corner of the ring. And on the other corner of the ring is Dave, the employee. Um, and it's basically saying that no matter how good your security protections, no matter how good your cyber protection, no matter how good everything is, you've got an employee who's probably going to be the problem. Mm, sure. Uh, that's where the training comes in. Um, that's where training people not to open attachments to emails that could be dubious comes in. That's where training people to hover over email addresses for something that might seem not quite right is essential. So. That's why having, you know, education and systems in place is probably um, as big a part of the remedy as the tech is, uh, because your employees more often than not are the people who will inadvertently open an email or attachment to an email which will let somebody in. They'll inadvertently click on a ransomware um, attachment, let somebody in, or lock your system down even worse. Uh, or they will become a disgruntled employee and download a whole lot of personal information and walk out with it. So wow. training people, um, or, or even worse, you don't log them out as an administrator or as an operator on your system after they leave, and for two or three weeks afterwards, they're still logging into work as normal, taking whatever information they want, either for a commercial advantage themselves or for some other purpose. Um, so. So it's, and, and the scams are getting more and more sophisticated as well. You know, there's the, the phishing and the whaling. Um, there, there are so many, and your members will have so many examples of cybersecurity incidents that they've been exposed to, um, that that training is, in my view, absolutely essential. And even, even my firm here, um, we've put it in place in the last couple of years, and when it was first run, 40% of people who should know better were wrongfully opening emails and letting people in. I mean, they were fake emails because we were sending them ourselves, but um, were wrongfully opening, and that's down to about 8% now after training. Wow, that's awesome. Actually, you read my mind. I was going to ask about human error as my next question because one of the things that we see mostly 
or most commonly in payroll around data security is just people emailing people the wrong stuff. So, for example, I know stories in, you know, the big firms in Australia where everyone's payslip has been emailed to one person or people's, like, you get my payslip, I get your payslip. I mean, this has got bank details on it, super fund details, my address, my my date of birth often, obviously what I earn. Um, And in all cases that I know of, this has been a human error. It's been a human that's made that mistake. I had one situation where I was doing some consulting for a client and they had another consultant in there and I asked something about how many how many employees were on the database. I got an email of a spreadsheet of the personal details of every single employee, of which there are about 1,300, downloaded into an Excel spreadsheet and emailed from one consultant to me as, a, as another third-party consultant. Yeah, that, that's right. So the human, the human issue is, is, I think, if not, it's a 50-50 in importance. You know, your tech is important, your cyber protections are important, but they mean nothing if you've got somebody who can push a button and avoid the entirety of them. In that instance where that whole database was sent over to you by that of the consultant, at law that would be an interesting question because... Um, because there's, there's a question of consent. What did those individuals consent that their information could be used for? So if you were providing a service to an organisation and an individual whose data was held by that organisation would assume that, yep, that's that's the natural sort of thing that would happen, then they may there may be implied consent to that release of information. Uh, for example, you know, we've got... Or any any organisation's got personal information, it might go out to an external typist to type um, letters or correspondence mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Is it, there's no express consent. I mean, ideally there would be express consent, but if there wasn't, it's implied that, well, in order for us to supply you with the services that you've asked of us, we may need to release that information to consultants. We may release sure. that information to administrative assistants. We may need to release that to other people in order for us to supply that service. So arguably there may not be a breach because there's implied consent for that activity to occur. But I must say, whenever you're relying upon implication, you're putting yourself at risk. You're much more relying upon express consent than an implication of consent. And what about the payslip situation where wrong payslips are sent to wrong people? Yep, so again, you've got the... It comes back to those fundamental questions. It might only be one person and it might only be one payslip, but if there is a real risk of serious harm being done to the person whose private information has been wrongfully dismissed, uh, wrongfully released, then, yeah, it would arguably be a reportable incident. Mm, and, okay. and you would go to the Privacy Commissioner and say, it's only one person, but they would come back and say, well, what have you done about it? Or what do you propose doing about it? da 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 um, and provided that the systems and uh, remedial action that was put in place was acceptable to the commissioner, you would like to hope it wouldn't go any further than that. But in the- but mind you, if what occurred was that the payroll placelip went out incorrectly, the recipient in fact did misuse that information and did access the account and did strip the account of all its money and then the privacy commissioner found out that the only reason they could do that was because of the wrongful disclosure of the payroll slip there's going to be an issue because you've not only got the privacy breach but you've also got the breach for failing to report and that would be a bad situation a worse situation for you to be in so you just need to if you if you think you've got a problem you should report 
That's right. Yeah, so certainly make that phone call. I'll get, get some advice. Uh, and you can choose to go to independent lawyers in that regard. Or, as I said, the Privacy Commissioner is actually quite um, cooperative, generally speaking. And um, you may choose to go down that path as well. But, but getting that advice um, would be a very wise move. And so if you're an employer who's sort of had their head in the sand a little bit and something bad did happen and you sort of thought it would go away and then the Privacy Commissioner got, uh, got hold of it later on, what sort of penalties can and do apply to these breaches? Um, so they're, they're fairly serious now, and I've just got to remind myself of what those penalties are, if you'll excuse me. Um, well, hope, hopefully none of your clients have them uh, pending, because <laughs> they've had good advice. <laughs> I have, that's right. Um, I honestly can't remember what the... The European ones are very significant, obviously. Oh, they're huge, aren't they? Uh, yeah, that's right, 20 million euro, or I think it's about 10% of your... Um, global turnover so mm. and google got hit with a 56 million euro penalty for for breaches the other day and i must say most of the big organizations are um are um being investigated now i think fate didn't facebook have a massive one the other day yeah that, i think america. that was, might have been on the american on the american yeah one, but yeah so uh, linkedin twitter instagram whatsapp um are all under investigation of the gdpr uh, apple um, Marriott oh, wow. Hotels, Facebook, Google. So they're all being looked at very, very carefully. $2 million, that's what it is, now that I remember. It's uh, 420000 for an individual and $2 million for a corporation. Uh, wow. For, they're the maximums and, and no-one's been hit with those as far as I'm aware. Um, so you would need to be a very recalcitrant and uh, almost a repeat offender. Um, but certainly, they've, as I said, they've been $30,000 penalties um, uh, imposed um, so it's, it's, it's a serious amount of money that is that is available to the Commissioner if they were to choose to prosecute. Wow well this is I mean it, it really has been quite fascinating and eye-opening to me I think that it's certainly in, in my industry and in the, in the in, in payroll industry and employers um, I think there's an awful lot more to this than we think and I I, I guess I fear that um, a lot of employers and payroll managers do have their head in the sand a little bit about this because I've certainly been quite shocked at some of the things that you've had to say today. Um, thank you so much for um, for speaking to me today. Ha if people want to get in touch, Tal, what's the best way that um, that they would get in touch with you? Oh, well, I mean, they can, they can, I mean, if you just Google Tal Williams, of course, I'm, not too many of me exist, no. so... <laughs> Not John I'll Smith then. Come up. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Um, but they can give me a call, um, email me. Um, as I said, all the details are on the, on the Holman web, website. Um, and, yeah, happy to, um, happy to help out as I can. That'd be great. Thanks so much for your time today. No problem at all. Thanks, Tracy.